Good morning, heart and soul. Good morning to those of you who are present in our sanctuary. Good morning to those of you who are far afield. You are all welcome in this house. And I, um, I, I just have to take a moment and double tap on the note of thanksgiving and appreciation for our magnificent beautification team. Will you look at this place? Under the direction of Ms. Valda Earl Southall and Ms. Ernestine Calvin, they never fail to bring the spirit of the season right in here with us. I am so very grateful. I'm also grateful, since we're starting with gratitude, apparently. I'm grateful for the cozies. <laughs> because, I, because I have to mention, now, I have known Tyrone and Felicia ever since, well, ever since my beard was black. <laughs> and in all that time, I have witnessed them individually, either singing with a choral organization, sometimes together they're singing with a choral organization, a larger one, sometimes they're directing choral organizations, but I believe this is the first time in my experience that I have witnessed the Cozies together. What a gift. Thank you for bringing that gift. Since we're talking about gifts, it seems wholly appropriate that we acknowledge that we have entered what has been commonly called the giving season. And I, I use that, that phrase uh, with some trepidation because, as you know, here at Heart and Soul, we don't really operate with a giving season in mind. We talk a lot about giving as an aspect of a spiritual dynamic, which, as you know, is giving and receiving. You, many of you have heard me uh, and, and seen me as we uh, offer our time of gracious giving. Talk about that very thing. But, but the, the issue for me is I never really have enough time during the time that I'm, you know, raising the offering to talk about the importance of giving and receiving as a spiritual dynamic. It's really important. So today we're going to spend some time. We're going to spend some time talking about that dynamic, but we're also going to spend some time in talking about what's behind that dynamic. I'm going to get to that as well. Um, but with regard to giving and receiving, Reverend Amon was here last week, as many of you know, and he lifted up that giving and receiving are not the same. They're two different things. They're two different things operating within a single spiritual dynamic. It's, it can be kind of tricky to get your head around that, kind of like time and space. I love watching science documentaries and Discovery Channel and all that, where Carl Sagan or somebody is talking of Neil deGrasse Tyson these days, talking about time and space. I used to think that 
space is one thing that I move around in, and time was this other thing that I could always tell where I was supposed to be at a certain place in space. But they tell me now that time and space is one thing, and I don't pretend to understand it. But I trust that it is true, and I trust that it can be influenced by things like your speed and gravity and all of that that we ain't talking about today. <laughs> but here's the thing about the spiritual dynamic of giving and receiving. It's important to understand what giving is. Giving, from a spiritual standpoint, is the pouring of ourselves, our resources, into others. That's what giving is. Receiving is the reciprocal manifestation of good that is born out of the action of giving. Yes? I see some heads kind of nodding. So... This reciprocal action, this dynamic operates that as we give, so we receive. In case you're trying to puzzle out, how do I separate those two things out? You can't. You also cannot stop giving and receiving, which brings me back to my original point of having a, a giving season. No, you are giving and receiving every picosecond of your life. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I introduced the, the concept of a picosecond. It's the smallest measure of time that science can measure. It is literally one one trillionth of a second. So every picosecond of your life, you are actually giving something and receiving something through the power of your thought. You're offering something into a greater power that is responding back with something that is correspondent to whatever you are thinking. Giving and receiving is a spiritual law. It's a principle. And I want to I wanna offer up that it's a principle that, um, although it's automatic, it isn't very smart. <laughs> Giving and receiving is about as smart as your toaster. Now, that doesn't mean it's not at the effect of divine intelligence. It is. However, giving and receiving just works. And... Like, your toaster just works. Your toaster doesn't care, really, whether you want toast. As far as your toaster is concerned, you can put marshmallows or sardines, whatever you want in the toaster. Your toaster doesn't particularly care if you want your toast light or burnt to a crisp. The toaster is no respecter of whoever's in the kitchen. So it is with principle. The law of giving and receiving, as you see here, is no respecter of persons. It just doesn't care. It responds to us in each and every case, as a law always does, eternally, continually. And Ernest Holmes offers to us that 
we are surrounded by a universal law that is entirely impartial, which returns to the thinker the logical effect of his or her actions. I know for, for a lot of you, this is straight up review, right? For some, it may be news to understand that there's an aspect of spiritual mind that is dumb as a toaster. But sometimes we have to call things as we see it. It is important to understand these concepts, and also it's important to know why. Why does this dynamic of giving and receiving even exist? Yeah, we know that's the way it works, but why? It exists because of the transcendent nature of something called divine grace. Yeah. Now, what is divine grace? Divine grace is nothing less than the love of God. It's often cast in this idea of unmerited, undeserved favor. But the truth is, it's exactly the opposite of that. It has nothing to do with unmerited favor. It has nothing to do with your being undeserving of anything. You deserve and you merit God's grace and God's favor automatically, not because you have weaknesses, not because you're particularly strong or talented, not because of anything except because you're a child of the divine and you're eternally loved. And the divine parent only wants you to be happy so that you can fulfill the beingness of a godling here in this plane. Now, what does a godling do? Well, a godling works with God. A godling creates with God. So grace is a transcendent quality of God. And as you see here, the love of God is divine givingness. Remember I told you a moment ago that giving is the pouring of yourself into others? Well, the love of God is the divine givingness eternally. It never misses a picosecond. <laughs> eternally outpouring spirit in, through, and as its creation. That includes us. We are part of this magnificent divine creation that includes everything, that includes all that there is. Grace supersedes everything else. And it is only through divine grace that the dynamic of giving and receiving is even possible. Remember, that was the question, why? Do we even have divine uh, giving and receiving in the first place? For God so loves you that it has given you the power, the authority, and the free will to co-create with it. Now, that's a lot of responsibility right there. But it doesn't have to be heavy. 
It is simply life, and it is the greatest gift that there is. The real question is, what are you creating? What are you co-creating with God? Because God, in, in, in offering this gift of free will, is saying, whatever you want, I'm here for you. So what are you and the divine creating? Well, in fact, you're creating reality. You're creating your reality. You're creating reality in this realm where godlings get to practice growing into a more mature version of the divine presence here and now. Is this a great gift or what? I mean, think about that. I can't imagine a gift that is greater than you get to create anything you want. No holes barred. And I'm right here with you. And, well, the real question now is, well, how should we use the gift? How should we employ this thing that always is, that is given so lovingly, that is the, the engine behind reality itself, well, to better use this gift, to be co-creators with God, we have to learn to be better givers and better receivers. So you see, when I talk about giving and receiving as a spiritual dynamic every Sunday, when, I, when I'm up there doing that part, it's much deeper than collections at Heart and Soul. We don't do collections at Heart and Soul Center of Light. We do gracious giving because we are invoking this as spiritual principle, talking to a part of you that is saying, yes, I am here for you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I've got that Ricky Byers song. So to be better co-creators with God, learning to be better givers and receivers, I have to admit, most of us are better at one part of it than the other. Or, or we have a, a slight leaning, maybe, toward one or the other. I myself confess that I tend to be a giver. I tend to err on that side. I tend to give rather freely. And some would say a rather too freely. Some would say, what are you doing? Stop that. That's supposed to belong to you. You're so but it can go even further than that. I, um, when I'm not here, you know, having the honor of, of doing a talk, I'm back there. I'm, I'm in the, um, the, the live streaming booth, for lack of a better word, audio-visual department. And... Um, I create, sometimes alone, often with the help of others, a lot of the, the visual content that you see. And folks have lovingly given me this nickname, the GOAT. <laughs> Greatest of all time. <laughs> so you see, there's a part of me that shrinks, that just wants to cringe and hide when I hear that. 
folks are offering me love. They're just offering me appreciation. They're just offering me thanksgiving when they, they I know I'm not the greatest of all time of anything. Who is the greatest of all time at anything? But the part of me that doesn't want to receive the love is the part that needs attention, the part that needs help and healing. I remember when I was at East Bay Church of Religious Science, beloved Reverend Eloise said, well, you know, church is kind of like a spiritual hospital. Them that needs to be there is there. And so here I am, <laughs> front row. <laughs> so wherever you fall on the spectrum is like no, you know, there's no good or bad in it. We just want to operate in some sense of balance. And it's important. Reverend Amon spoke to some of this last week. He's been teaching us how to sharpen our skills at giving and receiving by understanding our part as co-creators in God. In the first place, this definitely came up if we could show that slide of the redoubtable Reverend Amon. This is a direct quote from Reverend Amon from last week in which he's talking about how this dynamic really works. And, it, it, you know, in the, in the service, he went through it kind of quickly, so I wanted to bring it back because I think it's really, really important. In talking about it, he says, whatever it is that you give, the meaning behind it will be changed. The meaning behind it is really that energy that you bring to your giving. If you bring the energy of feeling so blessed to give, so, so enthused to give, so happy to give, that's a completely different thing and creates a different outcome than being what I want to call a fearful giver. Big difference in being a fearful giver as opposed to a cheerful giver. And he goes on to say that our problem in not manifesting that which we would have in our life, our greatest expression of the life that we want to live, the reason why we're not manifesting that is because we have a lack of trust. Trust is key. I don't have the actual scripture, but Reverend Amon talked about that, that scripture where the master teacher says, you know, look at, look at the birds. Look at the, the, the lilies of the field. They don't want for a thing. Do you not think that I love you so much that I wouldn't take care of you as well as I do birds and lilies? Now, he says, when there's a lack of trust, Reverend Amon does, there's also a lack of generosity. It has to happen that way. You see, these dynamics, like time and space, giving and receiving, Felicia and Tyrone, these things are bound together in a, in a way that is inextricable. And so it is true that trust and generosity are huge components 
of giving and receiving. When we do not trust that there is enough, that we have enough, that we are divinely cared for, that we are absolutely loved, that nothing can go wrong, that all of life is for us and never against us, if we can't have that level of trust, well, it shows up in the level at which we are capable, not even willing, capable of being generous with anything. Not even our, I'm not even talking about church offerings here. I'm talking about how we play into life, how we participate in life. Where is, are we having the lack of trust that doesn't allow us to show up as the parents we want to be, as the teachers that we want to be, as the leaders and the participants that we want to be? There are so many times when I have seen something on the mass media news where I, I see people making a difference. And I think to myself, I should be out there doing that with those folks. But there's another part of me that pulls back and goes, well, now, you already kind of got a job. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a shrinkage within myself that prevents me from having the generosity to do what I can do in a participation of something that's showing up obviously large for me. I'm stimulated. Otherwise, I wouldn't even have the thought that I could participate. You know, in preparing for this talk, as, as for a lot of my talks, I do a lot of reading to, to see, and <laughs> I got to confess, um, since we, we, we've been talking about Reverend Amon, you know, he starts every talk by honoring and lifting up his guest speaker, which he says is, is spirit, and it absolutely is. The way spirit shows up for me in the preparation of the talk and the delivery of the talk is not as a single guest spirit. It's kind of like a guest committee. <laughs> it's, you know, it feels like ancestors and guides and angels and a lot of information is, is twirling around and somebody directed me to uh, 1 Corinthians and is not a, um, a piece of scripture that I want to offer you at this time, but I want to talk about Paul, okay, who delivered his letters to Corinth. And one of the things that he lifted up in general is that, well, you have to understand kind of like historically where he falls in the play. So he, Paul shows up basically after the crucifixion of the master teacher. And Paul's not a nice person. Paul is a persecutor of people who are following this new thing that is emerging that seems to be outside of normal Jewish tradition. This new thought, if you will, that the master teacher has shared. And so Paul has taken it upon himself. He's a tax collector, and he wants to punish every person who is on that path. And he does it. He does it assiduously until he has his experience 
uh, as you've probably read, on the road to Damascus. He encounters the master teacher very much alive in spirit. The question is, why are you whipping my people? Why are you persecuting me in this way? And reveals to Paul, you know, the gospel, basically. And Paul is forever changed. However, in his letters to Corinth, Paul is keenly aware that what is also emerging in this growing kind of movement is that there are a lot of people who are now kind of like preaching it a little bit and talking about it a little bit and leading folks in it a little bit. But the thing has taken on the trappings of stuff that doesn't matter, like how well the minister or the preacher or the, the speaker is dressed or how eloquent they are, how, how enchanting their presence is. And Paul didn't have any of that. He was a tax collector. He was an abuser of people. He doesn't have the, the wealth, the, the entremont. He doesn't have the, the, the education that a lot of these other uh, people seem to have. And so he basically, as he starts to try and give his message, the other teachers basically kind of like issue him. Like, we, well, first of all, we know who you are. We know what your past has been. But you ain't got no skills, brother. And look how you dressed. <laughs> and yet, the message of Paul becomes extremely influential from that point in biblical history forward. Here's, here's what he discovered and the point that I'm trying to make is, maybe you think, like Paul, that you don't have the skills, the accoutrement, the money, the, the, the education, the diplomas, or whatever, to make a difference in the world. Paul find out, found out that you could have the vocabulary of a sign language gorilla and make a difference. It doesn't matter because, and, and I, I really do mean that. You don't have to be particularly eloquent to bring your best self forward. There is something in people that is wise beyond their brains. It's a something that is discerning. They can recognize, you know, well, that, that's just clothes. That's just affectations. That's just a cult of personality that's kind of happening. Yeah, we can get caught up in it, but we, if we take a moment to look at it closely, we realize, well, that's just stuff happening out there. But when a person speaks the truth, no matter how inarticulate they may seem, there is something within us that opens up wide and recognizes this is the word I've been waiting for. This is what's been hidden in the back of my consciousness all this time. And somebody finally brought it forth. You're Paul. Not that you beat up on people, but you're Paul in that you are able to make a difference 
with your gift, with your giving, if you will only trust that you're supported. Giving and receiving is deep. And I want to I lift up, uh, there's, there's another slide that I have that does have a quote from 2 Corinthians. Did we show that already? We, oh, we, well, there it is. You know, I can never be sure what's happening behind me, and I'm grateful that something good is happening. So, um, make sure that I even got it. Yes, I do. It's, it's basically saying that as you give, so you shall receive. As you use the gifts that have been bestowed upon you by the divine creator, you will be rewarded. It's not transactional. You're not getting paid. Not in, in, in that material sense. Your life may reflect profound abundance in all kinds of ways. But only if you live life from this place of trust, from this place of knowing, I'm just here for God. So, I want to talk more about what we need to be giving. And how we need to be giving it. There's all kinds of giving. There's two other kinds of giving that are born of this grace. Can we show that one? I know we've got it. There are two kinds of giving and they're both forgiving. The one on the left, the baby, that forgiving is my play on words. It's play on words based on when I, I first began my ministerial journey, I was taking a class, and I never will forget what the teacher shared in that class. The teacher said, you know, it's kind of like when you're having a birthday party for a four-year-old. In this case, let's make it a child looks like it might be about one. A and there are lots of people who have birthday celebrations for a one-year-old. It's a big uh, milestone. <laughs> you know, before the first child arrives at the party, that there's going to be some stuff. Some stuff is going to get sticky. Some stuff is going to get broken. Somebody's going to throw up. Somebody's going to cry. There's there's just, it's a kid's birthday party. And so as the host of the party, before anything, before you've even laid out the decorations, you've already set up in mind, I forgive any of the stuff that's going to happen on this day. I hold open the space for all of it, for anything that needs to happen to just be so that the joy of God can be known in this moment for my little one-year-old. Now, I want to also go and talk a bit about the other side of that slide, which is about forgiveness. Now, I bring that up last because that's a hard one for us, isn't it? It's another kind of giving this, forgiving not necessarily in advance, but maybe after things happen. 
and what does it mean? Some of us seize up when we consider the blessing of forgiving. We think that in forgiving somebody, some things, some institution, some whatever it is, that we're somehow letting them off the hook. They're not getting what they deserved. And there's a lot that human beings have inflicted on themselves and on the planet that would seem to be unforgivable. Well, see, forgiveness, really, like all of this stuff in metaphysics, has a strange effect. Forgiveness doesn't let anybody off the hook except you. Forgiveness breaks you out of the jail cell in your own heart that's got you locked up because you need to keep an eye on that person that, or thing or institution that is locked up with you going, you ain't getting out of here. Well, guess what? You're not getting out either. Forgiveness is your get-out-of-jail-free card. You just open up the door and you're out. It doesn't mean that the other person or thing or institution is not responsible for what happened. What happened is real. But what is happening is you finding a way to be that expression of God that trusts. I'm all right, I'm taken care of, and I can still be love in this world. There are all kinds of giving and receiving. It takes up a lot of space in what we do and we don't even know it. We've come to think about it as, you know, a thing that happens at the end of a church service. And it is so much more than that. I want to um, lift up also, I think there's, there's one more slide. Is there, Reverend Sonia? Yeah. See, this is kind of what happens when you find yourself unforgiving or unrealizing, I guess that's a word, not knowing, not participating in the gift of God's grace. You feel isolated, estranged, wandering down the ages without vision and without purpose. This is taken from Guidance for a Spiritual Journey, today's reading. We want to be engaged in giving and receiving. And if we are properly engaged in that, we are properly engaged in an, an awareness of the grace of God so that we don't find ourselves feeling alone, wondering what happened. It's important for you to know, in summary, that you are loved beyond measure. I don't care what you did or think you did, what somebody else did, how you feel about what's happening elsewhere in the world where you feel weak or ineffective or you've disappointed somebody, most likely yourself. doesn't matter. God finds you to be absolutely splendid. 
you are surrounded by and embraced in the transcendent power of grace. You're loved by your creator by, to an extent that isn't even imaginable by human senses. And most importantly, you have your own transcendent gift to give. It doesn't have anything to do with wrapping paper in boxes and putting them in a special place. It doesn't have to do with a lot of materiality, although materiality may squirt out of the exhaust of all that. It has to do with knowing that God is, we are, and all is exceedingly well. So I just want to say that as you are pondering this idea of living in the grace of God, if you can't do anything else in the moment, know that this is the day that the Lord has made. And it is a lovely day. A lovely day.